Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Matthew chapter 16, in verse 18, I want to read this from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. It says, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Everyone say, my church. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Everyone say, keys. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. This is Jesus' first um, introduction or uh, speaking of the uh, church. It's the first time he mentions the church. It's the first time he mentions the word church. The word church in this verse is not something new to them, though. It's not like they've never seen this before because this word church in the Greek is actually the word ekklesia. And it actually means a, a gathering of called out ones. It's literally what this word means. It means a gathering, a, a coming together of those that have been called out from a place or called out from a region or called out from a town or from a city. And this was actually a government term. It was actually uh, not a religious word at all. This word church, this word ecclesia was not a churchy word or a Christian word. You know, those are terms to us that have become religious or churchy or Christian over time. But you got to remember, they don't have church in the form that you and I have church. And um, at this point, there aren't any Christians, right? There's no followers of Jesus in the sense that they've accepted and believed on his death, burial, and resurrection because he has not yet died, been buried, or risen again. And so in that form, you know, Jesus is, Jesus is introducing a term that actually its power and its relevance um, and, and what it meant to Jesus might be different than what it means to us today. When we think of church, we usually think of this format. We usually think of something we attend. We think of something we go to. We think of an event that happens on a calendar during a time frame. Um, we think of a gathering maybe like this. Um, but when he was talking about the church, he was talking about authority. He was talking about a government entity. He was talking about a people, as we learn further in this verse, that would bind on earth and loose on earth, and heaven would respond to this group, to this church, to this embassy, to this government entity. That there was literally a kingdom, there was literally a government backing what we do in the earth. Y'all with me? Some of y'all already on Memorial Day weekend. You're already at the beach if you're heading there after service. You're already, come on, stay with me. We won't be here long. The quicker you get it, the quicker we get out. (laughs) An entity that would bind in this realm, and heaven will bind. An entity that would loose 
in this realm. And then heaven would respond to what you and I do. And too much of the church today is built around waiting on heaven. Too much of the church today is built on waiting on God to do something. Too much of the church today is, is sitting back uh, and, and even some of us don't even expect God to do anything other than get us up out of here. We think that's the greatest act that God's going to perform in the last days is the rapture of the church or the gathering together of his people um, in, in a heavenly realm or in a heavenly environment. But I'm telling you that the greatest impact you and I can make in the planet today is not leaving but bringing. Not leaving the earth but bringing heaven to earth. I know we talk about it a lot, but I talk about it. When I preach about it, I preach about it with the same passion as if it was the first time I mentioned it because it is the very reason for our existence. He expected the church in its totality to do one thing, bring heaven. Bring heaven. Say that with me. Say bring heaven. We are to bring heaven. Heaven, bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth. The first thing he mentions when he says, I will build my church. Notice who's building the church? Jesus is building the church. He takes it personally. Jesus takes the building of his church personally. He has not delegated that to anybody else. You and I come alongside, but he is the chief cornerstone. Amen. He is the one that's planned this thing out. He's building it. He's designed it. He knows where each and everything should go. He knows when it's out of place. He knows when it's in place. He says, I take personal interest in building my church, my gathering, my entity. The very next thing he says, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. So that tells us you and I have a strange power behind us that not even hell can overpower what we are called to do. The, many, the, the reason why many Christians are being defeated or being overpowered is because they're not walking in their assignment. The hell is, is, hell can overpower and overcome a Christian that doesn't know who they are, doesn't know what they have, and doesn't know what they can do. Hell will exercise authority over a Christian that doesn't know who they are, what they have, and what they're called to do. If we aren't building a church or if we aren't aligning ourselves when we think of church in the frame of reference that Jesus is speaking of here in Matthew chapter 16, then we cannot expect the promises and the blessing and the, the accommodations that Jesus is giving following that. If I don't follow his model and I don't follow his template, then I cannot expect the same results. Y'all with me? He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. The gates of hell are not stronger than this church, the church he's building, my church. I will build my church. And then he says this, and I will give you, he's talking about the church, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys denote access. Anything you have a key to, you have access to. 
So when he's saying, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and ultimately what he's saying is, I'm giving you direct access to heaven itself. And whatever heaven has, you can now have access to. I have given you the key to it. So now the church is not begging God to do what he's already given us a key to access. We're not praying on our hands and knees, hoping and wishing and, uh, God, if you hear me. Those are not the prayers of the church that he's talking about in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He's talking about a church that I'm building, and the gates of hell cannot overpower it if you follow my template, you follow my model. And on top of that, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. If it's in the kingdom of heaven, he's giving you access to it because I can't bring to earth what I cannot access. I can't bring heaven to earth if I don't have access to heaven. I can't bring God's will to, remember what Jesus prayed? Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come and your will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. This is actually the second instance that we see Jesus helping his followers and helping you and I discover that our job is to bring something from heaven to this realm, to this planet, to this earth, to this world. That's our job. That's what we're called to do. And so he says, I will give you the keys to that. If you have the key, you have access. If I give you the key to my vehicle, guess what? You have access to it and access to use it. That's why I've given you the key. If I give you the key to it, I'm ultimately giving you the thing the key goes to. If I give you the key to healing, I'm ultimately giving you healing. If I'm giving you key to peace, I'm giving you peace. But it's up to you to access it. Notice that. Notice he doesn't say, I will give you the kingdom of heaven. He says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Anything that is locked up from heaven in this earth is up to you and I to unlock it. You hear me? Anything in this earth that is locked up, that they are, that people in the world are not accessing, it's up to you and I to access it for them. Hello? I mean, we, we watch the news and we, we see all the stories and all the turmoil and we just, we, we look at them as if they have the same access to it that you and I do. They don't have access to the love of God like you and I do. They don't have access to the peace of God like you and I do. They don't have access to healing like you and I do. They don't have access to overcoming fear like you and I do. Over the last several months, we have watched the world be reduced. Challenge always reduces us to, to, our, to our greatest need. It, it be, you become who you are in the midst of challenge and in, in the midst of lack. It's easy to be polished over and everything looks good when, when everything feels good and is going good. But when lack shows up, when trial shows up, when cha- it reduces you to who you are. And we've watched the world get reduced. 
But when the world gets reduced, the church ought to rise. The church ought to be the one that points the way and says, we have the key to what you're looking for. You're looking for healing? I've got the key to that. You want to overcome fear? I've got the key to that. You want to overcome racism and hatred? I've got the key to that. You want to overcome anxiety and depression? I've got the key to that. You want to overcome ignorance? I've got the key to wisdom. We have the keys. You and I do. It's what our charge is. It's what our call is. I'm building my church and the gates of hell In essence, this is what I love. This is what, right out the gate, he says this, I'm building my church and hell is no match for it. I mean, right out the gate, I'm just going to go ahead and let you know, the church is so powerful, hell ain't got nothing on you. (laughs) He just, that's the very first thing he says. Go ahead and get it out of your mind. The devil's not your problem. Hell's not your problem. Demons aren't your problem. They're no, they are no match for the church of the living God. They are no match for you. We don't live in fear to what the enemy can do. We don't live in fear wondering what's the next thing he's going to come up with. Bring the next thing. We got an answer for that too. He's letting you know not what to be overcoming. He says, this is what you need to know. You've got the keys. You've got the keys. You've got the keys to the kingdom of heaven. If it's in the kingdom, you have access to it. And then he says this. Whatever you bind on earth. Who's doing the binding? We are. The church. The church is binding on earth. Will have been bound in heaven. The New King James reads, will be bound in heaven. Meaning that heaven is actually responding to you and I. Heaven is sitting on the edge of their seat saying, are they going to bind it? Are they going to lock that thing up? Because we can't respond until they. They're, they're the entity in the earth. They're the embassy in the earth. They're the ones with that, that, that uh, 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 power in that arena. You have to do it. You have to carry this out. And then heaven backs you up. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And then he goes on to say, whatever you loose on earth. I don't know about you. You can't go 24 hours with seeing stuff that needs to be bound and seeing stuff that needs to be loosed. Hello? Look all around. It's right around us. Stuff that needs to be bound up and stuff that needs to be released and loosed in the earth. And that's what you and I are doing. This, this, is our, this is our call. This is our assignment. I'm reading off. I mean, if, you, if the church needed a mission statement today, I've just read it to you. This is it right here. Binding and loosing. I remember um, uh, someone had, was, was coming to our church, and I had ministered along these lines, and they said, I had no idea that we could bind and loose. Had no idea that that was in our job description, so to speak. That that was part of our mandate. Maybe that's you today. You're thinking, I'm supposed to be binding stuff? I had one individual just recently tell me that that it had always been, that there was like this persona of people that bind and loose stuff like they were weirdos. Binding gluten in their toast. By, you know, we, 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 can get, we can get carried away with anything, right? 
we, we can start binding and loosing. No, he's talking about spiritual forces and spiritual wickedness. And, and we're not talking about binding individuals. We're not talking about binding sex. We're not talking about uh, binding um, um, political parties. Come on. It's, it's way bigger than this. Way bigger than what we're seeing on TV. Way bigger than what you're living in day in and day out. We're talking about binding spiritual plans, spiritual agendas, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Binding and loosing. Binding and loosing. He says, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. This is the greatest need in the earth today. I believe it with all my heart that this is the greatest need in the earth today. For a church to rise up that understands their position in moments just like this. You know, some of us have enjoyed times where we didn't have to so actively bind and loose, meaning that it just wasn't prevalent and right in our face like it is today. There's always stuff to be bound. There's always stuff to be loose. There's always ways to be working out this assignment. This is what we are called to do in the earth. And it's not some weird, you know, hokey thing. I bind that and I loose that. No, it's about a mentality. It's about an understanding. It's about, it's not about performance. It's about your posture. I'm in a posture of authority. I'm in a posture of ruling and reigning. I'm in a posture of enacting the kingdom of heaven all around me. Everywhere I go, I'm going to release heaven, and I'm going to bind up darkness. I'm going to bind up wickedness. I'm going to bind up rebellion. I'm going to bind up anything that does not align with God's word. It's not about being weird. It's not about oh, just people binding weird stuff. It's an understanding of a call and an assignment. In John chapter 14, verse 12. In John chapter 14, verse 12, it reads this way. Truly I tell you, Jesus is speaking. The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I've just read you two of, just to be honest, most difficult passages or verses for a lot of Christians to swallow and understand and to be honest, have been dumbed down to a, to a, a degree, have been reduced to our natural ability to receive these words. First off, to hear that I am a part of an entity, a group in the earth that can bring heaven to earth and we can bind up darkness and we can loose the kingdom of heaven in any sphere or arena of life that God places me in. That's the level of influence you have. Now, secondly, to see that if I believe in Jesus... I will not only do the works that he did, but he says, and he will do even greater works than these. 
mean, a lot of Christians don't even want to read these verses or hear these verses because of level of responsibility. Do you know what responsibility is? It's the ability to respond. It's the ability to respond. I remember someone told me one time, they said, I want to invite my friends to church. But there's a part of me that doesn't want to invite them to church because I know that the moment they, they hear what you preach at church, they're going to be held responsible for it. And that's an absolute truth. The second we preach it and the second we declare it and the second we give you the word, it is your responsibility to respond to the words given. I mean, how do you read that word and just go about your day tomorrow like normal? I mean, if we're being honest, how do you wake up tomorrow and just disregard that I can bring the heaven into the earth? I have the keys to the kingdom of heaven that he is expecting me to bind and loose in the earth. How can I just go about my day tomorrow knowing that that's true about me? How can I go about my day tomorrow knowing that he has called us to not only do the works that he did, but even greater works than he did? And then he makes the statement, because I am going to the Father. Apparently, we didn't need Jesus here, physically in the earth, to do what he's called us to do. In fact, you will find out that if Jesus is physically here in the earth, you can't do what he's called you to do. He goes on to say in John chapter 16 in verse 7. John chapter 16 Verse 7, I know the first thing that the disciples were thinking about is the first thing that we think about. If Jesus goes, who's here with me? Are you just going to leave us alone? Are we going to be here all by ourselves to try to carry out this great mandate? <clears throat> this, this amazing assignment of bringing heaven to earth? Of, of having keys to the kingdom of heaven? I mean, Jesus, this is a tall task, Jesus. This is a tall order. Do you know what I do for a living? Do you know what my background is? Do you know how much money I make? Do you know the sphere of influence I have? Do you know where I came from? Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I've been through? And Jesus is still giving us the assignment of bringing heaven to earth, binding and loosing, having keys to the kingdom of heaven. And he says that you will do the works that I've done and even greater works. And you're going to do it because I'm not even going to be here anymore. I mean, it's one thing if Jesus is here, maybe you can help me out with this. Give me a tutorial. Right? You know, uh, you know, let me shadow you for a little bit like the disciples. But this is what he says in John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go. It's better. If you ever, you don't have to raise your hand. You ever broken up with someone? It's better this way. It's not me, it's you. I mean, it's not you, it's me. Right? 
You wanted to say it the other way, but you softly, it's, it's me, it's not you. It's kind of what Jesus is doing here. It's better that we're not together. It's better that I'm not here in the earth with you. It's better that I go be seated at the right hand of the Father. It's better this way. It's to your advantage that I go. Sure, we all expected him to say, it's to your advantage that I stay here, right beside you, right with you, walking this road out, walking this life out, hand in hand with you. I remember my my mom had this uh, uh, painting above our fireplace for years. I think it was called Footprints. Y'all seen it? Where you got footprints in the sand and there's two sets and then there's a time period where there's only one set and the man asked Jesus, you know, what? why is there only one set? Oh, those were the times I was carrying you, right? Oh, it sounds so awesome. It, it works great on refrigerators and bumper stickers and hungover fireplaces. But I'm telling you, Jesus isn't here walking this life with you. He said, it's to your advantage. I go to heaven, be seated at the right hand of the Father. Above all principality, power, might, and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Why is that better? Because he says, better than having Jesus with you is having the helper in you. He says, the helper will not come to you. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Probably the most valuable asset to accomplishing Matthew chapter 16 and John chapter 14. Two extremely tall tasks. Two extremely tall orders for us, common mere men, to carry out in the earth today. Is maybe the most disregarded, unmentioned, element of them all, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Without a true understanding of the Holy Spirit and his work in our life, no wonder we're not accessing by the keys heaven. No wonder we're not binding on earth. No wonder we're not loosing on earth. No wonder hell is overpowering so many Christians and so many churches. Because we are doing it without Jesus, because he's gone. And without the Holy Spirit, because we refuse to truly understand what it means to receive the Holy Spirit. Why, did, why was Jesus so adamant with his disciples? with the 120 before he ascended, to go into the upper room, to go into the upper room, and to wait, he said, tarry for the promise of the Father. And when he comes on you, you will receive power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses. He didn't even want them witnessing until they received the Holy Spirit. 
Remember, he said, it's to your advantage that I go. If I stay here, the spirit of God can't come in you. Ultimately, what is he saying? He's saying, right now, with me on the earth, we've got one of us. But if I go, then the Holy Spirit can come in each and every single one of you. And now we have just exponentially multiplied our power and our efforts in bringing the kingdom of heaven to the earth and to bind what needs to be bound and to loose and release what needs to be released and to access the kingdom of God and to do the works that I've been doing, the works that I've been showing you. Now you will be able to perform those same works and even greater works. I've said it before, but the church in these last days, one of our calls and one of our mandates is pushing back darkness. You think it's bad now, wait until the ones pushing back darkness are gone and raptured up out of here. It's going to get way worse. You don't even know what the church is holding back. You don't even know what we are restraining from being released in this earth today. But he's raising up a church. He has not changed his template. He has not changed his model. The church has. The church has changed their importance over 2,000 years. The church has changed their identity. The church has reduced. The church has downgraded. The the church has uh, almost disintegrated the mission of God. But I believe in these last days, the remnant is rising. The people are being called out once again, called out from their homes, called out from their workplace, called out from the junk and the mess of the world. And we are going to be separated so that we can set them free. Not separated for the purpose of just being away and being different and being weird and doing our thing, but separated so that we can go back into that environment and make a difference once again. See, if I'm too busy conforming to what's around me, I have no chance, no hope of changing what's around me. If I'm trying to look like and be more like them, we've bought the lie, the enemy has sold us a lie, that if we look like them, we'll reach them. And we've bought it, hook, line, and sinker. And we've seen it happen over about the last 20 years or so uh, in, in an absolute prevalent way. And I'm not just talking about methods and lighting and and looks and color. All those things will adapt. All those things will, will continue to stay relevant and stay updated. There is a way that we can put on a presentation that does restrict and keep people at bay. I'm talking about our posture. I'm talking about the things that we eliminate from our doctrine and our theologies. I'm talking about the things that we no longer want to preach from the pulpit. I'm talking about the things that we think if we say that, they won't come. But in my Bible, when they said it, people ran to them. When Peter made a call for repentance in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 souls came in that day. When they spoke in tongues in Acts chapter 2, they were all drawn to what took place that day. 
And so there are elements that we have removed and that we have uh, uh, held back on in the church. And then we wonder why our impact is so negligent. And we wonder why the world isn't attracted. And the world, I'm telling you right now, you, if you talk to them, they will tell you they are looking for something different than what they're already in. I can promise you that. Maybe not on the outside, but I'm telling you deep down when it really comes to the core and they need whatever it is that they need. They may make fun of you for praying for people that have the flu at work. But when they get a, a cancer report, they're the, you're the first person they're looking for. They're hunting you down in the hallways. I got to talk to you. I need you. I hear you praying for, for people and, and talking about God doesn't want us to be sick. And man, I just got the worst news of my life. I need your help right now. I mean, if it works, I need it. Desperation will bring you to. And so if we're holding back on our mission, According to Matthew chapter 16 and John chapter 14, if we aren't walking in this, then we're not even fulfilling the plan of God. We're not even doing what the church is called to do. And we have a great emphasis of salvation, getting people saved. But we've got to step it up in lordship. Seeing people not just accept Jesus as their Savior, but making Jesus Lord of their life. That means complete owner. That's what lordship means. That means he has the final say in my life. He has lordship reign in my life. And the next area of weakness is in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and receiving the Holy Spirit upon every believer. I said every believer. And I believe the days of being scared of it, being fearful of it, being weary of it are going away. I believe people today are finding a greater demand and value for receiving the, and a hunger for the baptism of the Holy Spirit than ever before. But it has to start right here because he said it's to your advantage. It's to your advantage that I go. It's to your advantage. Because you need the Holy Spirit to come upon you. He says, if I depart, I will send him to you. I want to give you three ways real quick that the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer. Three ways that the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer. And we've ministered already several times on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and receiving the Holy Spirit. And we're going to give you an opportunity today, if you have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoken in other tongues, you'll have your opportunity today. Today. It's time we get just as excited for seeing people baptized in the Holy Spirit as we do when we see them saved and born again. Because you need it. Number one, the Holy Spirit guides us in righteousness. The Holy Spirit guides us in righteousness. In Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. 
then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. I can tell you right now, if anyone is giving into their flesh on a repeated basis, on a regular basis and having trouble overcoming it, they are not letting the Holy Spirit lead and guide their lives, period. They don't give place to him. They don't pray in other tongues on a daily basis. They're not even aware that the Holy Spirit lives and dwells within them. They're not waking up in the morning saying, good morning, Holy Spirit. Have a conversation with him. Talk to him. He's a person. He wants to talk to you. He wants to engage with you. He wants to speak to you and teach you and guide you and lead you. But you will give in to your flesh every time if the Holy Spirit does not have the level of control and you're not aware of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Verse 17, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Your flesh will always wage war against what God wants. Your flesh will always wage war against what the Bible says is right and in alignment. And I'm going to go a step further and tell you, you can't defeat it, whip it, overcome it on your own. That's why Jesus said, you need a helper. And he will come alongside you, and he will live within you, and he will come upon you. And he will help you live righteously. Righteousness hasn't gone out of style. Jesus hasn't changed the terms of what holy looks like. Jesus hasn't reduced sin because more people are sinning. More people are creating ways to sin. New ways to sin are showing up every day. And he's not, well, you know, we better, we, we better get a little lax on this or we're just going to push people away. Nope. If it was sin in the beginning, it's still sin today. If it was sinful then, it's sinful now. If he saw it that way as sin then, he still sees it. You're never going to change God's mind on sin and righteousness. But he's given you a way out. He's made a way. He's made a way by the Holy Spirit. If you will fully submit your life to the work of the Holy Spirit, he will come in and he will help you. Listen, he will not do it for you. The Bible does not say it is to your, your advantage that I go because if I go, then the helper will come and he will do it for you. You don't have to do anything at all. No, what does he say? He says he's your helper. You know what that means? You're involved. You're participating. Hello? You're participating. Sure, we've all been in moments we feel like we can't do this on our own. It's bigger than us. Parenting, starting a business, keeping a business running, figuring out a pandemic, uh, spousal, marital issues, whatever it is. I can't do this. This is bigger than me. Absolutely it is. That's why he gave you a helper. That's why he gave someone to come alongside you. 
That's why he gave you a standby, an advocate, a comforter. So that you could yield to him and lean on him. The Amplified reads this passage this way, but I say, walk habitually in the Holy Spirit, seek him and be responsive to his guidance. So one, I've got to seek him. And then when he directs and leads and guides me, I have to respond to that. The number one way to make the Holy Spirit silent in your life is to override him when he speaks. And he speaks. He does his job and he does it well. He's great at leading. He's great at guiding. He's great at teaching. He's great at helping. He's a phenomenal advocate. He's amazing at comforting. But if you override him, he will become quieter and quieter in your life. It also works in reverse. If you want the Holy Spirit, if you want awareness of his work in your life, respond to him quickly. Engage him in conversation. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit what you should do before you ask Facebook what you should do. Hello? This might be too too churchy for some of y'all, but that's okay. This is what we've got to get back to if we're going to carry out the plan of God for the church in these last days. And then you will certainly not carry out the desire of the sinful nature which responds impulsively without regard for God and his precepts. For the sinful nature has its desire which is opposed to the spirit and the desire of the spirit opposes the sinful nature. These two, the sinful nature and the spirit, are in direct opposition to each other, continually in conflict so that you as believers do not always do whatever good things you want to do. Even if you want to live right, we don't always live right, but it's until we yield to the Holy Spirit are we actually empowered to make the right choice and do the right thing each and every time. So the Holy Spirit guides us in righteousness. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And verse 9 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. If you want to know what is acceptable to God, get with the Holy Spirit. He will show you. If there is a way that is acceptable to God, then there is a way that is unacceptable to God. If there is a way to please God, then there is a way to displease God. And the Holy Spirit will show you and help you navigate what that looks like. God is still interested in righteous living, holy living. And he deals with it through his Holy Spirit. Number two, the Holy Spirit guides us in Scripture. The Holy Spirit guides us in Scripture. John chapter 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. Again, Jesus is referring, he's contrasting a life 
with him in the earth and then what it's going to look like when he departs and when he leaves. You know, God wanted you and I prepared for his departure. We talk about being prepared for Jesus' coming, but we needed to be prepared just as much for his departure. And Jesus did that. This is what you're going to do when I'm gone. This is who you're going to lean on. This is who you're going to rely on. This is what you're going to do. This is the mission you're called to fulfill. This is what it's going to look like when I'm gone. He says that these things I've spoken while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. Jesus was the word of God in the flesh. And so in essence, what he's saying is the Holy Spirit will always maintain a value for my word. The Holy Spirit will always maintain a value for the word of God. John 15, verse 26, when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. One translation reads, and he will agree with me, meaning that the Holy Spirit is not coming up with his own doctrine. The Holy Spirit is not saying anything that doesn't align with the word of God. The Holy Spirit is here to teach you the word. Open up your eyes so you can see it and hear it spiritually, not just naturally. Help you understand it. Help you receive it. The Holy Spirit will help you apply the word. The Holy Spirit will also remind you of the word. But here's the thing. It's impossible to lead a life led by the Holy Spirit and then create a disregard for the word of God. But this has crept into the church where we're either a word church or a spirit church. We're either a church that relies on the spirit and the gifts and the manifestations and the work of the Holy Spirit, or we're a church that teaches the word and we don't allow gifts or we don't operate in that, but we know the word doctrinally and theologically in and out. No, it's impossible to be one or the other if you are truly led by the spirit. Those that are led by the spirit of God follow the word of God, value the word of God, read the word of God listen to the word of God, can be taught the word of God. If you have created a lack of value from being led by the Holy Spirit, if you create a lack of value for the word, you're not following the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not lead you away from the word. He will lead you right back to the word. Every time. Oh, sure. I've had many conversations with people. Well, the Holy Spirit told me this and the Holy Spirit told me that. And if it doesn't align with the word, I'm just as bold and as frank with them right in their face. I'll say, no, he didn't. Not the Holy Spirit. You're listening to a spirit. But you're not listening to the spirit of God. Because it's impossible to arrive at two different conclusions and come out of alignment with what the Word says. I had someone tell me one time that the Holy Spirit told him that the baptism of the Holy Spirit wasn't for today. 
I know. Yeah, think on it. You're, your eyes are going in the back of your head like mine were going in the back of my head. It doesn't even make any sense. The Holy Spirit told you that he's no longer needed. Okay. This is what happens when we don't have a value and a regard for what the word says. And we call ourselves spirit-led and spiritual and look at all that we're doing. Although it's taken out of context, it doesn't align with the word. It doesn't show a value for maintaining the word. The Holy Spirit will never lead you in a direction where you cannot arrive back to the word. He said, when I speak, I'm going to testify of Jesus and I'm going to testify of the Father. I will only say what my father says. The Holy Spirit will only repeat what God says. And he's not coming up. Let me tell you right now, there is no uh, division in the ranks of the Trinity. God doesn't have to go to the Holy Spirit and say, okay, you're, you're getting too far out there. Let me rein you back in. You're creating your own doctrine. You're creating your own. Come back here. Come back to my. No, they are right in alignment. I said they're right in alignment. He will never speak out of alignment of Scripture. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit guides us in the will of the Father. The Holy Spirit guides us in the will of the Father. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let me start with verse 4. Romans 8, verse 4. I'm reading out of the New Living. It reads this way. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit will lead you away from sin, bring you to righteousness. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit will not come in and overtake you. We're not talking about a control that the Holy Spirit does what he wants with you and you have no say. You have to give him control. You have to yield control to the Holy Spirit over your life. You can refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. You can refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to operate in your life the way Jesus says he ought to. It is up to you. You can turn it on and you can turn it off. But if you'll yield control of the Holy Spirit in your life, he says that you will no longer be controlled by sinful things, but by the things that please the Spirit. Verse 6, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Every time, sin only pays out in one way. The only wage it gives is death. At the end of the day, when you collect your check, every two weeks when you collect your check, the wage it pays out is death, separation, finality, unfruitfulness, decay, disintegration, whatever other word you want to throw in there. Letting your sinful nature control your mind 
leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. He's saying the choice is yours. Which life do you want to live? A life that only yields death and gives away death and gives away decay? Or do you want to give a, do you want a, a life to live a life that gives away peace and is life giving in return? The harvest you yield is your choice. He says in verse sin that the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them, here it is, do not belong to Him at all. I mean, the options are right in front of you. You want to live a life that pleases him. You want to live a life that follows him. You want to live a life submitted to his will, submitted to his purpose, answering the call that he's given you, uh, uh, obtaining Matthew 16 and John chapter 14. You want to live a life on that level? Yield to the Holy Spirit. Yield to the helper in your life. Verse 10 says, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. If you live by its dictates, you will die. If through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. If you jump on down to verse 19, it says this, And all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Do you hear those words? Creation, the world, the Bible says, is groaning and moaning and crying out for the sons of God to be revealed. Who are the sons of God? Those that are led by the Spirit of God. Guys, we're, taught, we're going deeper than just saying a prayer and asking Jesus into my heart. We're going deeper than just acclaiming ourselves to Christianity and telling people this is the church that I go to. But we're talking about changing a world that is around us by allowing the Holy Spirit within us. Allowing him to come upon us. Worship team, if you come. Can everyone just stand with me? I'm not going to take long with this. I just felt this is where we needed to go this week. This is what he wanted to do and what he wanted to say. Yielding your life to the Spirit of God. Guys, it's simply, it's not optional. You know, so many times we have, 
we dumb things down to the, the minimal effort we can give. The minimal effort we can put in. Can we play Holy Spirit, you are welcome? You know, the disciples, when they came to Jesus, the 12 that followed him, the closest, you know, the Holy Spirit isn't just about what you come and get. The Holy Spirit is really about what you go and do. I'll say that again. The Holy Spirit is not just about what you come and get. It's about empowering you to go and do. If you've been doing life as a Christian without the Holy Spirit's help, you're at a great disservice. Ultimately, Jesus is, is saying it this way. Don't make it harder than it has to be. You know, I began a tangent. It wasn't last week, it was the week before. Saying that we have to get to a point as the church where our emphasis day in and day out, that our mindset day in and day out is, what am I giving away to the world? And I believe in every believer, every Christian, we want to live that way. With a see a need, meet a need, mentality. But what's getting in the way is our own junk and our own stuff. And sad to say, the church has, has, has really kept people in a state of mismanagement where we're, we're just managing our own problems. It's almost as if we are our endeavor is to create repeat customers. Give you enough to get you through this week, but you'll have to come right back next Sunday. I remember in the church we grew up in, you got saved every Sunday. The preacher preached it so well, you felt like you ran away from God in the last seven days. Back down to the altar again. Anybody come from that church? Uh, yeah. When did you get saved? When did I get saved last? Is that what you're asking? When was the most recent time I got saved? <laughs> when did you give your life to the, I didn't have a date because I just I had to scratch it out and put the next one down. I remember growing up that way, just gotta get more of God, gotta get this, got gotta get rid of that. Dealing with this struggle, and we're going to deal with those. But but when you read the Bible, the struggles that Paul dealt with, Peter talked about, and the disciples uh, hung on to, it wasn't, I'm trying to overcome this addiction, or I'm trying to overcome this weakness, or try not to give in to sin. This, the, the destruction and the persecution and the challenges they were met with was from the world because of, for the sake of Christ. That's the kind of persecution I think we ought to be engaged in more than devil's been kicking my brains out for 37 years. Still struggling with this issue. It's time to overcome that mess. It's time to get past our junk so we can help the world get out of their junk. 
It's time to bind on earth what is bound in heaven. It's time to loose on earth what is loosed in heaven. It's time to take the keys of the kingdom of heaven and we overhear things or we're entertaining conversations or we come up on the struggles of the world. We say, I got a key for that. I got the keys. I got the keys. I can get that for you. I can help you with that. But sometimes we are so engaged in our struggles. I can't even try to give thought to your struggles. But have you ever had someone come up to you and want to have a serious conversation, but you've been in deep in thought about something else? You know, you know I'm sorry, I just, I can't give any thought to that right now. Can, can you give me just a moment? Can you call me next week? Can, I, I just, I can't get my head wrapped around that. I've just got my a distracted church is a defeated church. And we can't be distracted with the junk in our own lives so much so that it compromises our efforts of binding and loosing and doing the works that Jesus was called to do. Jesus never had to stop in the middle of a miracle or in the middle of ministering to someone and say, I'm sorry, I can't engage in that right now. I know you're really battling. I know you're really struggling. I know you're really, but but I, I got to deal with something myself. You know what he did? He got up on the mountaintop with his father by himself. Yeah, you'll need times away. You'll need times to separate. You'll need times to come into this house and be refreshed and strengthened. I mean, I hate to just keep going here, but in Acts chapter 4, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then they lay hands on the lame man uh, at, at the gate called Beautiful. The town goes into an uproar. They get arrested. They threaten them with their lives. Do not preach in Jesus' name. They went back to their own company, and they told them all that the chief priests and the, and, and the rulers had to say. Then they lifted up their voice in praise, just like we did last week. I hope you found some opportunities this past week to praise and to worship and to dance and to shout. If you're not, you are, you're doing it harder than it has to be. You're making it harder than it has to be. But that's what they did. It says the whole place shook. And they said, Lord, grant to your servants boldness so that we can go right back out and engage a broken world again with our lives on the line. If we're calling for revival and we're calling for a last day move of God, move of His Spirit, and the only thing you're thinking of is what's going to happen in me, you've lost it. When I think of revival, I think of a different Valdosta. When I think of a revival, I think of a different South Georgia region. My heart goes out to the people of this community and the burden and the weight of what they're in is greater than the weight of what I'm in. Because I have the helper and I've yielded my life to the helper. I'm going to start here. If you're in this room today and you have not asked Jesus, made Jesus the Lord of your life. I'm not talking about a Savior. Savior is what He did. Lord is who He is. Don't just accept Jesus for what He did for you. Accept Jesus for for who He is in your life.
who he wants to continue to be. Not a past tense act. Oh, he died on a cross one day and saved me, so now I'm... No, it's bigger than that. If you have yet to make Jesus the Lord of your life, just lift your hand right where you're at. All across this room, right where you're at. Commit your life to the Lordship of Christ today. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. Okay? Now, if you're in this room and you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit upon you, But everything we just talked about is everything you're dealing with and struggling with. I've just given you the answer. It's called the helper. You don't need more. You need him. Receive him today. Receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon your life today. If that's you, throw your hand in the air right now wherever you're at. If you have not made Jesus, if you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, now some of y'all are like, "Oh, wait, I, I don't know about that one." Yeah, the evidence of speaking in a heavenly language. He gives you a heavenly prayer language. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is He changes the way you talk. It's the first thing He comes in and does. If that's you, just raise your hand right where you're at. If not, then every single person in this room is baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you speak and pray with other tongues. Now I'm going to encourage you to do it daily. Daily. Quit trying to live this life on your own ability. Quit trying to live this life without the promised helper. How do I overcome this? The Holy Spirit. How do I overcome that? The Holy Spirit. How do I stop doing this? The Holy Spirit. How do I live that way? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God in the earth today, right now. The church talks a lot about God. He's in heaven. The church loves to talk about Jesus. What'd you learn about a church today? Jesus. What'd you learn about church today? God. And they're both in heaven. They're both in heaven. But now God of the third person. God, the Holy Spirit has come into this earth. He's come into this realm to live inside of you. And the world is crying out for the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Those who are led by the Spirit of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God. It's as simple as this. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. 
There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.